morning again. Great to uh, see you on this Palm Sunday. We are uh, going to continue in our series, Book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at the story of someone that uh, really you might consider to be kind of a minor character in the overall historical context uh, of the Bible, but, but as you probably know, in, in God's story, there's no such thing as, as like minor characters, right? Today's focus will be on Hagar and uh, Ishmael. And so in review, just kind of get everybody back on the same page, we know that Abraham at 75 or so was promised this son, uh, and then we know that he and Sarah had a bright idea. Right? And their idea was this, that they would have Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, serve as a surrogate. And so Abraham and, and Hagar, they get together, and soon Hagar is pregnant, which uh, not surprisingly, by the way, led to some tension in her relationship with Sarah, right? She begins to treat Sarah with contempt. Sarah does the same. Sarah is quick to point out to Abraham, pretty much your fault, bro, right, um, for letting all this happen. Abraham's like, no, she's like your maidservant. You do what you think is right. And so for Hagar, life becomes unbearable to, to the point where she really just can't take it anymore. And so she runs away into the desert. Later, she's sitting by the stream. Angel comes. Where are you from? Where are you going? He asked, right? Hagar goes, I'm running away. The angel says, you need to go back and, and just, you know, like submit yourself to Sarah's authority. And by the way, we know this is that God says to her, and I will give you more descendants than you can count, right? Which is significant because as a surrogate in that culture, the child and the descendants of the child would be Sarah's, not Hagar's, right? But the Lord said, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And so the Bible says back in chapter 16 that Hagar called to God by this new name. You are the God who sees me. Now, if you went to church back in the 80s, you probably sang this worship song um, called El Shaddai. Anybody remember that? Oh, there's a few of you old people like me. Good job. Right? Part of that song you might not remember, but it says to the outcast on her knees, you were the God who really sees. Right? The song's referring to Hagar in the desert. And it tells us something about our Heavenly Father. Here was Hagar, a mere maidservant, but notice her distress didn't go unnoticed in heaven. Right? God saw her. So Hagar goes back to Abraham and Sarah. About 15 years later, the events of last week's message take place, which brings us to today. So let me just read the story as we get started this morning, and then we'll pull some principles from the story. All right, Genesis 21, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn to Genesis 21, I'll be reading verses 8 through 21. Also, if you have your note sheets there, you can follow along and take some notes as well. 
says this, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the account of his son. But, Abraham, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac your offspring um, be named. And I will, make a great, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread and, and skin of the, of the water and he gave it to Hagar and, and putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and she wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and she sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite uh, him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For your God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast uh, with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then the God, and then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave uh, the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. And he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So here's what is happening. Abraham arranges this huge feast, right, to celebrate Isaac being weaned. And during the event, Sarah sees Ishmael, a teenager, she's kind of like mistreating his half-brother Isaac. And Sarah, she's like over-the-top mad, right? It was the final straw for her. So she goes to Abraham in verse 10, and she's like, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac, right? And notice how much the relationship has changed over about a dozen years. Right, because 12 years or so before, it was Sarah that was saying, Hagar, hey, we have this wonderful opportunity for you to help Abraham and I with our very own child. It's going to be special for all of us. We go from that to 12 years later. She's like, Abraham, get this woman out of my house. Abraham's upset over the whole thing. Why? Because Ishmael's what? It's his son. But he's hard-pressed to disagree with Sarah, so he finds himself in this bind. God speaks to Abraham and, say, and says, in effect, hey, don't worry about it, man. Right? Do what Sarah wants, and I'll make the son of Hagar into a great nation because he's your son. So next day, Abraham prepares food and water for, for Hagar and Ishmael, and he sends them on their way. Now, now not totally sure how well-prepared 
<laughs> he, I mean, you know, a little bit of water, here's some stuff, and here you go, see ya. All right? So, so after some time, Hagar and Ishmael were out in the middle of nowhere, right? They're in the desert between Canaan and, and Egypt. And guess what happens? The food and the water, that runs out. Hagar knows what's next. So she and her son alone in the desert, uh, I mean, like, not good, right? You ever have that feeling like, like we just drove to Arizona? There were some spots that we were driving through. I thought, if we run out of gas right here, we're in big trouble, right? So she has a hard time thinking about her son dying out there. So she sits him down under a shade tree, and she walks away. About a, it says about a bow shot away. Not sure how far that really is. I think most people are estimating about 100 yards, like the size of a football field. That's how I think, right? So bow shot, not so sure about football field, I get, right? So, so she sits down, she begins to cry out, and so does Ishmael. And at this point, the angel of the Lord comes to her again, says in verses 17 and 18 that God heard the voice of the boy. The angel uh, of God called Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? And then he says, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Take a couple of thoughts here. One... Obviously, Hagar in a tough spot here in the wilderness. God's promise gives reason for Hagar and Ishmael to fear not. Right? It's not like just fear not, right? God gives them a promise and says, fear not. Secondly, through Ishmael was, or though Ishmael was not the, the son to receive the covenant promise, God was not against him, right? The descendants of Ishmael become a great nation just like God said they would. So, so what does the story say to us today? Well, I think there are three principles at work here in, in the events surrounding Hagar, Ishmael, Abraham, and Sarah. And, and if you ever have felt like you've fallen out of favor with the rest of the world and you've kind of been banished to the desert of life, if that's you this morning, here's three principles that I think will help you get through a difficult season in, in your life. Right? Bring you closer to your relationship with God. The first principle is this. Promises don't eliminate our problems. Right, like receiving a promise doesn't make you perfect, doesn't make all your circumstances perfect. It won't eliminate all of your problems. Life is just flat out tough for everyone. Right, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 5, verse 45. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 44 for you. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, so that you may... Be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Right? God gives a promise to Abraham, and he stood by that promise. Abraham goes about it in, in, in the wrong way, right? He makes some mistakes, 
But receiving a promise from God didn't turn Abraham into the perfect husband all of a sudden. Right? It doesn't turn Abraham into a perfect father uh, all of a sudden or, or a leader. Right? He still makes mistakes. God promised Sarah a son and, and she makes some mistakes. Should she fail to act at all times with integrity, right? Receiving the promise didn't make her perfect either. The same can be said for Hagar and Ishmael, right? The promise didn't make them perfect. It didn't eliminate their problems. And I just think it's super easy to play the blame game, right? It's super easy to play the if-only game or just to view the past in terms of what you should have done. It's easy to look at the events of Genesis and say, wow, Abraham and Sarah, you met, like you should have never even started that whole thing with Hagar. That's easy for us to say looking back. Or Hagar, you shouldn't have treated Sarah with contempt. Maybe you should have treated her with more respect. Or Sarah, maybe you should have treated Hagar with more compassion. Or Abraham, maybe you should have stepped up and shown some leadership, man. Right? Just take care of the thing. And he certainly should have sent some more supplies with Hagar and Ishmael as they traveled in desert conditions. My point is this. In the narrative, everyone contributed to the dysfunction of the situation. Right? Nobody was perfect on every level. Except for maybe Isaac. He was a little kid. Yeah, like he just was born, right? Couldn't find anything that he did wrong yet. Let me just say that, yet. Right? Here's what I'm driving at this morning. God had made tremendous and generous promises that applied to all the people in our story. And yet these promises didn't eliminate their imperfections and it didn't eliminate their problems. Life is just a bit messy. Which I think is true for us today, right? God has given us some exceedingly awesome promises. And these promises, uh, we can build our lives upon these promises. But it doesn't mean that life becomes peachy keen in, in, in the way. Do you like that, peachy keen? Like God promises us joy and peace and abundance. Doesn't mean that we'll never have moments of sorrow or face times of turbulence. Or be in situations of need. God promises to bless our marriage. Doesn't mean we're never going to have conflict. God promises to fill our life with meaning. Doesn't mean that we have success all the time. Living a promise-filled life doesn't mean it's life without imperfections. Or problems. But it does mean that God will do all that he said he would do. And he'll bring it about at the perfect time. I read a story about this guy who moved to the United States from Brazil. So, so he spent years going through the application process, the interview process for immigration. And, and after being here a while and dealing with the challenges of life in the United States of America, he said this. He said, I expected my life to be perfect once I got here. Now, now life for him was, was better than what it was, but it will never be perfect because we are not perfect and we're surrounded by people who are not perfect in the midst of imperfect circumstances. 
Life will always be a little bit messy. And our challenge is to minimize the mess, right? But we must remember the complicated nature of life doesn't negate the promises of God. So if you've ever felt like you've been banished from the good life from, and, and you're wandering around in the desert, just come to the grips with the fact that the promised life isn't free from problems. And maybe you're in a season of suffering today. I'm going to tell you, it'll pass. And, and let me tell you this, it's the suffering where God is what? Glorified. Jesus goes to the cross and suffers so that what? God is glorified. It's important to keep that in mind because it helps us better understand principle number two on your outline today. And that that is, is that your tears matter in heaven. And maybe you're in a situation in life right now when you are just feeling like you're in the desert and it seems as though no one cares about your pain. I want you to know today that your needs have not gone unnoticed before God's throne. When Hagar runs away from Sarah and Abraham, she found herself alone in the desert. God heard her and God comes to her and God became the God who sees her. Right? Chapter 16. Now in chapter 21, she's in the desert again, this time not by her own doing. This time she's rejected by the father of her son, this time without means to provide for her child, this time truly alone like, never been, like she's never been alone before. And again, God comes to her and actually the Bible says in verse 17 that God heard the voice of the boy and the angel came in response. So, so in some way, Ishmael cries out for mercy and help. Why is he crying out for mercy? Was it because that he knew that he was going to die in the desert? Well, was it because he felt remorse for his part in this whole thing? Was it because he is somehow now ready to take responsibility for his actions? Here's what we do know. What we do know is that they're all alone in the desert. They're about to get, die, and God hears their cries. And can I say to you this morning that God hears yours too? Centuries later, the children of Israel have become slaves in, in Egypt, and there they were oppressed under, under the mighty hand of Pharaoh, and, and God called Moses to lead them to freedom. He says this in Exodus 3, 7. He said, and the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their outcry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their what? Suffering. God said, I have seen, I've heard, I'm concerned, and I'm about to take action. The same can be said for your situation, whatever it is. God hears, God sees, he knows what's happening in your life. He will move and he'll take action at the right time. Matthew 10, 29 says this, what is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Your existence matters to God. Your tears matter to God. He, he is the God who sees, the God who hears, and the God who cares. 
There's a third principle that I want you to see this morning. Number three is that only God can open your eyes. Right? Only God can give us the ability to see what we need to see. And there is a fulfillment of God's promises waiting to happen. And it's probably sooner than what you think. God came to Hagar in the desert and said, lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation. And then this happens in verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw the well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Guess what? I'm pretty sure the well's there the whole time. Right? She just didn't see it. There's something about when you're all stressed out, it prevents us from seeing what we need to see. Right? It happens to us all the time on a lesser level. Right? How many times are you in a hurry to get out the door and you can't find your keys? Like, where are they? Right? Happens at our house all the time. Not by me, by the way, but just saying. Right? She's sitting right there, so it's okay. Right? Can't wear the keys. Right? They're not on the key holder for crying out loud. Where are they? Oh, I know. They're in the purse. <laughs> right where she put them, right? They're right in front of us, but we don't see them because we're stressed out and we're in a hurry and we're just not thinking right. It also happens on a major league level. Baseball started this week, by the way. So major league, some of you all get that somewhat. Right, it happens on a major league level as it happens, as the capacity for us to, uh, just to keep our life off course, right? So, so you get all filled with fear and doubt and panic and you can't see the water well that's right in front of you. And God's solution to your problem is right there, but we don't see it. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, when we surrender this moment to Jesus, when, when you surrender the problem to Jesus, the Holy Spirit then opens our eyes and enables us to do whatever or to see whatever it is that we didn't see before. And there are possibilities and there are opportunities and solutions all around us that we'll never see with the natural eye. Right? And we live in this state of doubt and fear and confusion. And, but when we completely surrender ourselves to the God who sees you, he opens our eyes. And God sees where you are right now. And he gives us power to see what is the next thing that we should do. Hagar gives the boys some water. They continue on their journey. And they soon find a home right there in the desert. The Bible says, verse 20, and, and God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The Bible tells us that Ishmael, he eventually has 12 sons. His descendants are known as the Ishmaelites. And in the overall narrative of Genesis, Hagar and Ishmael were, were minor characters, but to God there was never minor characters because nobody is minor in the kingdom of God. doesn't matter how minor you think you are in the grand scheme of things or how insignificant you feel or how dysfunctional your situation might be or how many times you've made a mess of things. You matter to God. 
when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks about receiving eternal life, the Bible says in Mark 10, verse 21, looking at him, Jesus showed love to him. And then he said to him, one thing you lack, go sell all you possess to give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus sees you and that he loves you? He sees where you are. He gives us the ability to see not only where we have been, but where we need to go and what we should do next. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. And God, I just want to pray for those that are here today who, who are suffering. God, I pray that as they walk through that difficult season of life, that in the end of the day, it would give you glory. So God, we pray on this Palm Sunday as we remember the triumphal entry. And then God, as we come on Friday and we begin to understand the suffering Father, we're excited to come on Sunday and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have eternal life. God, I pray if there's somebody here today and you haven't asked Christ to come into your heart and your life that you would do so. Maybe just in the quietness of this moment. And just pray and just ask Jesus to come into your life and to surrender yourself to him.